Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching Funding MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Funding MedTech is our newest podcast that is a spinoff of our MedTech Money podcast series. There won't be any new episodes of MedTech Money, but I encourage you to check out those old episodes as there is some awesome content on raising and investing capital. Funding MedTech is an interview-style podcast focused on exploring ways to fund MedTech innovation and will be released weekly on Wednesdays. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sleeman and Lund LLP. Sleeman and Lund is a leading intellectual property boutique specializing in medical devices. They've become a trusted partner of inventors, startups, and industry industry giants alike. Founded by seasoned attorneys with decades of experience, Sleeman and Lund combines experience with innovation. When it comes to protecting your groundbreaking medical inventions, Sleeman and Lund stands at the forefront, offering expert legal counsel and strategic guidance that can make all the difference. Whether you're a passionate inventor with a game-changing idea or a company seeking to safeguard your innovations, Sleeman and Lund has the experience and expertise you need to navigate the complex world of medical device patents. In this episode, Shauna Monterey at Beanstalk Ventures and I discuss Grassroots DX, third-party review accreditation for FDA, software and medtech, digital health, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Shauna Monterey. Shauna, so introduction, um, who you are, your background, how you got into med tech um, or, or, or the, the space, how you founded uh, and currently running Beanstalk Ventures. Uh, just kind of give us a whole background story here. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I graduated way back when, 20 plus years ago from UCSD and with a degree in computer science. And so I started my career in medical device development. And believe it or not, in the early 2000s, I was part of the team and development effort that cleared um, AI and diagnostics. So very early, and it was truly AI. And what it did is auto-detected glaucoma um, using a neural network. And then later on, we advanced it to use a support vector, vector machine. And so it was truly clinical diagnostics way back in the, in the early days, leveraging AI. So I'm quite proud of that. Um, but I continued on my career um, for another, you know, 20 years or in plus, um, in medical space. And so that's kind of where I've been. And I've kind of developed my expertise on software instrumentation, diagnostics, very complex, um, imaging type devices, and then moved into eventually genomics and next, next generation sequencing. And so kind of where the sweet spot is, is where kind of life science starts moving into diagnostics. So everything around the kind of the regulatory space and, and, and whatnot. 
Awesome. So when did you find Beanstalk Ventures? I founded Beanstalk in 2018. And so I got my MBA in 2011. And I've always had this itch to start my own thing. I wanted to build a product company. Um, I knew how to build very complex products. Um, with my engineering background, I can probably get quite far in developing product back then, probably not now. Not now. I don't do much coding now. Um, hardly any coding actually. But um, with that, basically, um, I just decided that, you know, I didn't want to be in the corporate space. And I really wanted to try to start my own um, venture. And so around that time, as soon as I kind of put, you know, I guess the intention out there that I wanted to start my own company, then what started happening is a lot of people I have worked with at previous companies started reaching out to me and they started their own companies and they were asking for support to deliver or develop their software for their instruments. And because it was just me, what I started doing is kind of outsourcing that work and just overseeing it. Um, and then we started just um, turning into a software medical device consulting company. And that's kind of how we started um, very early, like I said, in 2018. And, and we've evolved since. And so the company looks quite different now. Yeah. How, how big is the company now, Shauna? We're at nine, so we're quite small, but we did scale up to 24 around COVID timeframe. I think it was actually a little bit post, uh, post-COVID. Um, so we're quite small, but we did develop quite a bit of few products and services that are more like SaaS subscriptions uh, prior to scaling down to the smaller size. And, and Shawna, you, you, you bootstrapped this. You didn't raise any money for Beanstalk? All bootstrapped. Yeah. So... Yeah, you said small, like nine. I mean, for any person who's Project MedTech is is in this space as well, we have a consulting team. Nine people in four or five years is a lot for a bootstrapped uh, consulting group. Even and now knowing that you went to twenty four at one point in time, that's that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah, it felt, so, it felt like a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I, I want to circle back to. Uh, Beanstalk and my first engagement with 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 Beanstalk, which you may or may may not remember, um, but uh, I want to go back to to UCSD uh, one, absolutely beautiful campus. And for those listening in, UCSD is University of California San Diego. And if you want to see a really cool building, just Google University of California San Diego Library because the library is super cool. Um, and they also have a really good um, uh, program down there for, for med tech in general, whether it be devices, diagnostic, digital health, like you name it. There, There's a lot of really good stuff going on there and they have a really good entrepreneurship program. Um, I, I'm curious, when you were going through like the computer science program, that's obviously a hot, really hot major now, right? Like coding and uh, data science. But I'm guessing um, that it wasn't like a super hot field um, when you were doing it. So like, walk me through a little bit about that. Like, was there that level of uncertainty of like, you know, we're at the cusp of, I'm, I'm guessing it was at the cusp of like when this really took off. Um I don't know. And, and, and then using it for med tech, like health tech right away. Like it just, it feels like you, you were probably on the forefront of some of that. Yeah. So um, I started as a biomedical engineer. And so okay. uh, that okay. was impacted yep. and it was impacted because a lot of medical students were using that to differentiate themselves because engineering is hard and med, med school is competitive. 
Um, I did get pregnant during my undergrad, very young. So I had my my oldest daughter at 19, and then I had my uh, my youngest daughter at 21. So I had two kids in college, and I was struggling in the biomedical uh, program. And because it was impacted, I was concerned I wasn't going to be able to get accepted. And so then I, what I ended up doing is I switched to uh, structural engineering. So I do have quite a bit of background in mechanical. It's kind of interesting. So then I switched. And then what I started noticing is one, I was really good at programming. Like those were the classes that I got A's in that were really easy for me and was really hard for others. So it was very easy. And then what I started noticing is in the job fair, everyone was looking for computer science majors. And so what I ended up doing is switching. I said, okay, it's less impacted because you're right. It wasn't popular at the time, but I started seeing the trend in industry. I was like, I'm going to be very employable, right? And because I had two small kids, right? Let's just say my grades weren't the best. I wasn't the A student, but I needed a job probably more than anybody else. <laughs> so with that, I was really pretty motivated to kind of get to something that I could be more successful at. And that was my reason for, for switching. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so, uh, so, 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 Beanstalk. Um, well, actually, let's let's start before we get to Beanstalk. I want to start at the diagnostic company. What was the name of the diagnostic company you first started at? Laser Diagnostic Technologies, which was acquired by Carl Zeiss Meditech. And so, I worked there as a startup for five years. Got acquired year five, and then I had the experience of them working for a large organization. Very cool. Um, I, I, I'm curious, like, what were some of your top learning experiences from that whole process? And it could be from anything within there, but but being at the startup, being at the large corporation, going through the acquisition as a an employee, I'm curious, like, what were some of those big learning um, curves that you kind of took from that? I think I found that even through the acquisition that the company that acquired us was quite lean in software development. So we were pretty efficient. And I'm seeing like later through my career working at other companies, like the software departments were huge and not really developing much more than than we were. So I found like at least in hindsight that we were quite efficient as a startup and being being acquired. Um, we were very hands on, like I was a manager very young. And so I got promoted about three years in and I was managing people that were old enough to be my dad or older at the time. And I think my learning experience was about the efficiency of things. Um, but because we were in, you know, the AI space, um, we had some complications around being able to improve the algorithm over time. So we learned that we had to basically go back to the FDA anytime we wanted to update or retrain the algorithm, which was different than than our business model. And so that was kind of a learning there. The other thing, it was in the very beginning when FDA started releasing its first guidances for software. So I had to read it, understand it, and create processes to, to comply with it. So there was quite a bit changing there that was quite interesting, right? So now FDA had guidance out for software that they didn't have before. And so we had to learn how to apply it. So that was a big learning for me. So the you mentioned the lean piece, right? And still being as efficient as as as, as the larger group, is that kind of what got you thinking about Beanstalk and realizing that this is possible to to kind of have this lean team that would potentially take that kind of product development regulatory off off a company's plate um, and still be able to get to market with a very efficient product. Definitely, and I think we struggle with hiring people that are pretty fast and efficient. 
right? We, we can't hire then, you know, sometimes we brought in people, I can say we can't hire, but we brought in people from corporate who have the right experience. And they're just very used to things happening at a very slow pace and being okay with that. And so we pride ourselves on being very fast and efficient, but that doesn't always align with what we're seeing in the marketplace. And so it's really hard to kind of find the right people to fit our team that's able to just hit the ground running and be a high end contributor. And so now, you know, when we noticed when we went from the 24 to nine, we rely heavily on a lot of people that are consultants that are used to just being very efficient and really focused on the deliverable at hand um, versus, you know, I mean, I think as a consulting company, we can... uh, you know, tend to be, how do you say, like, um, immune to the corporate bureaucracy, but it's not so much the case, right? Our clients still have that a lot of times, and we have to help them work through it. And that's kind of been the advantage because we understand it. Yeah, yeah. And I I would say too, you know, speed and efficiency is such an interesting thing, because like, depending on who I'm talking to, I'm, I'm generally arguing for the the opposite, right? Like if I'm talking to like a, a a larger someone who comes from a large strategic background, I'm like, you've got to be faster, you got to be more efficient. And if I'm talking to someone who's like been a career uh, startup person, I'm always like, hold on, mm-hmm. like I want to go fast too, but we need to slow down and make sure we're not like going too fast, right? There's like there's like a healthy medium, you know. Um, but but I I you bring that up, and that's been like a, a conversation I think I've been having frequently of like, well, you got to speed this up. You got to slow that down. You got to speed yeah, this up. Yeah, I like- think there is a balance, right? You can you can be too fast. And I think for when we work, we work with both startups and corporate accounts. And what we'll find is that startups will tend to underestimate the time needed, right? Especially for a submission. And so they'll be way ahead of development, right? Or to the point where they think they're ready to submit and they're still designing their product and they haven't done any of the regulatory work. And they haven't um, actually implemented their product under a quality system or anything like that. So they have to go back and backtrack, right? So they kind of get a little bit ahead of themselves. They're like, I'm ready to submit in three months. We're like, uh, it's going to, because of where you are, it could take you six to 18 months, right? There's testing that should have happened that didn't happen, right? There's requirements that you have to satisfy that your product does not meet, right? There's things like that. So there is such a thing as going too fast. I think for me, it's about being efficient and providing value, right? And, and and focusing on what's most, most important. So kind of, if you think about that MVP mindset, you know, I think when I worked at the startup and even after the acquisition, we always had a mindset of MVP. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Get the product out there. We'll be okay with changes. We'll make changes as we move along and we learn more. Um, But really kind of get out there versus building the perfect product. Don't let, I think what's the saying, like, don't let perfect get in the way of good or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So I live by that. Even in the regulatory space, there's still that. You can over, <laughs> you know, document and design and, and and there's things that you could do that don't doesn't have that much value, right? Especially, you know, to your product. So you always want to take a risk-based approach and look at the, the benefit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so 2018, what, when in 2018 did you start Beanstalk? Was it the beginning or? Kind of the middle. Yeah, middle. May. Okay. Yeah, May. Yeah. So I got to give you props because uh, a lot of consulting groups, new ones don't, don't probably get this right. But I came across Beanstalk Ventures in 2019 at um, uh, Biomed 
San Jose or Silicon Valley, whatever it was. And Beanstalk Ventures had a uh, booth there and your marketing was awesome. Uh, the whole booth was set up great. So I did not know that at the time, but to be a year old and have that good of marketing, uh, uh, kudos to you. Um, and so that's where I think, I don't know if I met you there or just some other colleagues of yours while I was there or not, but, but that's, I was still with NAMPS at the time and had, had, um, met you there and was like, whoa, this is, this is impressive. Um, and, um, so, so anyways, uh, it, great job, uh, with, with that early marketing, thank cause you. it was impressive. Yeah. Thank you. And then, yeah. So, so, um, you kind of talked about what Beanstalk does. Um, wh what is the full breadth of, of services that you offer to, in our scenario, we are called project med tech, right? But the podcast is, we, we are covering mostly the startup arena, right? Or bringing a product to market. There's strategic listening in, there's, there's VCs, angels, and there's a lot of different types of people listening in, but, um, you know, we're, we're covering a lot of like the innovation side of med tech and that so happens to happen mostly at, at startups. So, um, I'm curious on the full breadth of services you offer at Beanstalk. Sure. Sure. So when we started, we were quite broad, like a lot of startups and we can do everything for everybody. And, um, my lessons learned on that, I mean, we talked about lessons learned when I first started my career, but my lessons learned on that is that uh, that does not get you to where you need to be. And actually being more narrow, you can be more focused and more successful. So we're quite broad. Um, so with that, um, if I start listing out the offerings, it may seem to still be broad, but it's actually significantly more narrow than what we've done before. And so from a consulting perspective, we support a lot on the submission side of things, uh, primarily technically. So we focus a lot on the technical part of the submission, which is a big portion of the actual submission itself. So if you think about that, it's like the design history file, looking at guidances and helping comply with cyber, like from a, both a technical perspective and documentation point of view. And so that's kind of our focused area from a, a regulatory, you know, quality consulting point of view. So anything related to instrumentation, we're primarily software, so we're software experts, but we're not limited to software because majority of our experience is on in software on instruments. Um, we've now moved to the cloud, so software as a medical device and software in a medical device. So those are our two niche areas. Um, but if you think of everything around cybersecurity, AI, et cetera, like those are things that we can help um, companies with, both large and small. Uh, we do have an accreditation with the FDA. So this is going on year four. We just renewed it. So we just received our reaccreditation, which we're um, happy about. So we received that a couple of weeks ago. And so the accreditation with the FDA allows us to review and approve select class two devices on behalf of the FDA. So instead of submitting to the FDA, you would submit to us and we can review and approve it. You know, basically you're skipping, we say skipping the line, right? We can review and approve faster because we're, have the resources available, we lock in a date, we work with the FDA, consult with them, and then they guarantee 30-day turnaround time from our recommendation. And so that's a service to kind of get to market faster that a lot of startups and even large accounts are starting to use. And what we found with that actual offering is a lot of people don't know it exists. Even people that have been in the regulatory space for quite a long time, consider themselves experts, you know, VP levels of these large companies. Um, a lot of them don't know that this program actually exists. So we try quite a bit to get the word out there. 
Um, and then the other offering that we have is our digital health platform. It's a community. We call it Grassroots DX. And basically, it has tons of free resources, everything around the regulated space related to digital health. Um, it does include a subscription service, which includes training. It's a 16 modules covering everything from planning all the way to cybersecurity. Um, and it's about 24 hours of training ongoing on demand. And then it includes a bunch of uh, design templates that's aligned with the training that are very detailed and technical that can help satisfy the submission um, process. And so that's another offering that we ha that we have as well. Yeah, very cool. So the the third party review, yeah, this is something that um, I wasn't aware of until I had met your company, um, and I thought it was really interesting um, for the points you brought up, especially timeline. Um, and for those, I, I don't know, maybe you can answer this. I, we use a system. Um, we used to use a system called Nyquist Data. We now use a system called Basil Systems. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a, it's a it's a good thing for like regulatory for dummies, right? Um, as a as a uh, uh, early consultant for a lot of our startups, we're really not ready for like a full full on um, uh, pre submission support from a regulatory consultant. But we just really kind of need to figure out some different codes where we sit, our competitors, that kind of thing. So it's great. On there, it says eligible thir third party review. I'm guessing they're pulling that from the FDA's website. Yes. So is that where you could go? Could you just go to the FDA's website, look up a product code? Yes. Um, and it'll tell you whether it qualifies? Exactly. Yeah. So once you know your product code or you're kind of trying to figure out what your product code is based on looking at competitive, you know, equivalent products or potentially equivalent products, then once you get to the product code page, it'll tell you if you're eligible or not. And then once you get to like, okay, great, I'm eligible for third-party review, there's a button that you would click on there and it would tell you which companies are qualified to review and approve your, your product code. And so we are qualified for, I think, over 250 product codes, right? But not all of them. So we don't do simple devices. We do more of the more complex devices, electromechanical or software only. Okay. Explain to me, like, I guess, the difference. I know they sub they would submit to you, mm -hmm. right? And, and then you can kind of fast track that and clear that. Do they still do a pre-sub with the FDA? And then once they do the pre-sub, like when do they start engaging you to say, hey, we'd, we'd love to you know, submit our, our application through you. And then how much time does this save, right? Because I know that the timelines at the FDA, a lot of people are probably aware of them, but you know, if you put a pre-sub mm -hmm. pack and I think you have like 60 days, technically, yeah. uh, this is an audio only podcast. So I, I use the air quotes, um, <laughs> you know, but depending on how busy the FDA is. And then once you submit a 510K, there's like a, a date on responses. Is it more informal with a third party review in terms of like, I submit, we probably have some dialogue, we can meet, answer questions, or is it just as rigid as like the FDA process? Just as rigid, right? So if I'm doing the review, you would never talk to me. You would actually talk to our uh, final reviewer and that would be the interface. And so basically you would engage with us as part of like, you know, bid and proposal process basically, right? Our standard, our terms are pretty standard. Um, when you engage with us, what we like to do is kind of lock down, down the date. So usually when we actually have a sign agreement with someone who's who's planning on a third party review, um, they're usually about three to six months out. And then what we do is we create a project plan with them for them, and then we lock down the date. And so we secure that date for them. 
And so they have the ability to move the date, but what we like to do is secure the date to make sure we can secure the resources. And so we have a particular client, for example, that has a big trade show and they want to make the approval announcement, which we can't guarantee, right? But they want to make the approval announcement by a certain date. So basically what we do is we work backwards on their submission. And so if they're able to submit on a certain date, they have higher chances of being able to announce that, you know, approval at the particular trade show that they're, they're interested in attending. And so the process is generally it takes us a couple weeks to do the review, but it's the same process. We still go through the RTA, refuse to accept to make sure we do an administrative review, make sure everything's complete. And then after that, then we'll do the substantial equivalency or the substantive review. Um, and then we'll provide feedback if we need, if we have clarifying questions, right? And that will go through um, someone from our company uh, directly and they would interface with that person on answering those questions. And then once the questions are answered, um, you know, and then we're, we're good to go, then we would submit a recommendation to the FDA. And the recommendation could be to approve or not to approve the, the device. And we have to justify that. So we basically tell the FDA, this is our recommendation, this is why. FDA then has 30 days to then respond um, to either agree with us or disagree, disagree with us. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that down. Cause I think that's probably confusing for, yeah. for some people wondering like, well, okay, I understand what the, it is, but how's that affect timeline? Correct. Okay. It's very similar. It's just like for us, we can guarantee a date and that's what we do. As long as you submit on the date that you commit to, we can guarantee the review date. And then based on, how fast we can get the, our questions answered and how efficient um, our clients are in answering those questions, then that then um, determines when we submit to the FDA and then that starts that 30-day clock. Awesome. Okay, great. Um, and then the the digital health platform, Grassroots um, DX, when did this roll out? Gosh, so we've had different versions of it. We've been kind of selling it since 2018, but we didn't officially launch it as a community on a hosted platform until about a quarter ago. So it's quite new. Um, we do have a lot of users on there. I think we see like one new user a day, which we get real excited about. <laughs> but yeah, we rolled it out recently. I think for us, since we're quite small, it's kind of hard to get the word out. And so we are looking for funding. Um, we are raising a, a seed round, so we bootstrapped. I proudly bootstrapped and um, could pretend I was Sarah Blakely for a few years, but now I'm kind of past that where I realize that I need capital. So that's kind of where we're at. And it's all for just pushing sales and marketing. The product's fully developed and customers are using it and really happy about it. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, yeah, you, you know, like you, you talked about getting excited over one new user. I mean, <laughs> I, remember when I, I remember when I first started the podcast, it was like one new listener a week was a big deal when you only had like a couple hundred listeners, right? In a week, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, now like your, your expectation changes a little bit when you have thousands of listeners a week, but, but it's still, it's still, I, it's, it's still just so funny, um, that you bring that up. Um, yeah, all the new users we know by name, we know where they work. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. 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 Um, oh yeah. I mean, when, when, uh, we first started the podcast, like, um, my, I, you could trace listeners from, um, country to state to city. And, um, <clears throat> like the first month of the podcast, I was like, um, Hey, 
my you could trace it to pretty much Youngstown, Ohio, because it was just my family listening at first. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it, you know, it was like it was like nice. Uh, so, you know, Uncle Dave must be listening yeah, now or something like Uncle that, Dave's right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 how far we've come. Um, anyways, um, okay, so so you're spending a lot of time around um, um, startups. Uh, I know you have a. a contingency of clients who are, are strategics, but I guess you brought up one of the mistakes. They underestimate timeline. Um, what are some other things that, you know, you work with a lot of clients and you're like, wow, if I had these 10 clients, these five made the same mistake. Like what are those most popular mistakes they make? Trying to do it themselves. A lot of them will try to read the regs themselves. So they're like CTO or CFO, even sometimes it's their finance guy. Be like, I'm the head of regulatory and I'm trying to read these guidances and standards. So trying to do it themselves. Um, We've had instances where clients come to us after the fact and the response from FDA is quite involved, right? So then they're just losing time. It's not the intent of the third party program or FDA to just submit as a filter. It's not recommended, right? So you, when you submit, you really want to be ready. And so I think that's one of a big mistake that we've seen is them trying to do it themselves, right? Um, the other thing is like, um, I, I guess it goes part of them doing themselves and I'm not trying to advocate like they should be spending a lot of money, but they do need to invest in uh, regulatory experts, right? And they're not inexpensive, um, but it is important to get... Um, someone that understands your product, right? To be able to help consult with you so you know exactly how to position it and how to prepare for the for the submission. So that's one. Um, another one would be not hiring the right regulatory experts. So there's not a lot right now of regulatory expertise with software. So if your product is primarily software and you have an AI algorithm, like hire someone that has that expertise. Right. AI has been around for a long time in medical device space. Right. So you can go to the FDA website and see they've been clearing it. You know, I don't know. I cleared in in 2000s. Right. So they've been clearing them for for a long time. Um, They just didn't have a separate uh, guidance around around AI. And now they've kind of evolved their current thinking around it. So we will expect to see regulation in the near future, the next few years around around AI. Um, so that would be my recommendation. Like if you're hiring regulatory experts that doing surgical devices with no software, like really try to find someone that can help either supplement their expertise or replace their expertise so that you're working with the right um, consultants. Um, the other thing is like, um, gosh, and this is just a startup issue in, in general. I kind of went back to like my failures or my kind of mistakes, right? As a startup, it's like having the right business model. And so your business model directly plays into your regulatory strategy, right? So if you're going to be a prescription product or go direct to consumer or sell through distribution channel, or you need reimbursement, you're selling directly to the physician, like that matters. That actually impacts what you need to do from a regulatory perspective. And so I think that sometimes is really hard to nail down as a startup because a startup wants to service everyone. Mm-hmm. And then that goes back to like start small, which seems counterintuitive, right? Like you have all you're you're an entrepreneur, so you have all these ideas. And these ideas are like, I can do this, I can do that, I can do this, but you're small, so you can't. And I've made that mistake. Like, yeah, my company can just focus solely on cyber and we can also do usability and we can do software development and we can do cloud hosting, we can do all these things because we have the technical ability and the business know-how. 
but we're too small. So, right. So we have to, we have to narrow your scope and you kind of have to make an informed decision, which I think could be scary. You have to pin it down because when you do your submission, your scope needs to be very clear and very narrow. Yep. And this is, this is why, so the business model piece is exactly why we're such a like proponent for, if you have $10,000, like if that's, if we we used to do this exercise at NAMSA, it was, if you had $10,000, what would we recommend a startup do? And what I recommend they do is even if it, you can only afford to get people in the room for half a day, I would get a regulatory strategist in the room, not a regulatory consultant, regulatory strategist. I would get a commercial strategist. I'd get finance operations and just like an overall business person. And then one person could be more than one of those things, but those are kind of at the core, what you need in the room to sit there and say, okay, here's the problem. Here's our back of the napkin solution. Let's talk about business strategy because there's so many times where, honestly, if, if I was in the room with the regulatory consultant and someone who knew regulatory and how certain decisions would affect it, we could have gotten stuff figured out in three hours, no problem, at least on the right track, rather than having to have a regulatory assessment done, then a commercial assessment, then trying to overlay them, then going back and doing it again. And, you know, hey, what if I make this change? Well, if you make this change, it does this. People can knock that out really fast. Um and so we we recommend that uh, with with any startup that's that's really early on. And I think you know the other point that you were making is I think with even with with software it's probably more prevalent. Is everybody has a platform technology, right? They look at it and go, well, if I make this slight tweak, mm-hmm. I can do this, 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 and this. Focus is difficult, um, but you have to have it um, as an early stage. Um, startup company, because I can promise you that um, for these early stage companies, especially in the life sciences, commercialization is going to be really, 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 really hard. Um, And if you're trying to commercialize in 17 different areas, you are not going to do well. Yeah, exactly. You're kind of stretched too thin and you're small and it takes a while to build momentum in a given market. Right. So what we found, because we did have multiple products, is we were like, okay, let's focus on the third party product. Let's focus on the grassroots platform. Right. If it's not dedicated focus, you're not going to build the traction and momentum that you need. And you're not going to learn from the market to help refine your business model, refine your sales process, refine your product. Right. Because you're too fragmented. And so one of my advisors kind of, um, he explained it. I'm not a sports person, so I'm going to say it was like completely wrong, but it's kind of like a football, right? You have like three footballs that you're trying to get across the line, right? And which one's going to make it? He's like, they're all just going to kind of move, right? And you're never right. going to actually make the touchdown. So you need to take yeah. one ball and make the make the touchdown and you need to pick which ball that is that you're actually going to focus on. And it takes patience too, because you can't then say, okay, three months, I'm not seeing anything. I need to then switch just because you're not seeing anything doesn't mean it's not working. It just takes longer to commercialize than expected. You know, even with after the clearance, it takes a lot of momentum to then commercialize the product. Once you receive the clearance, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, the analogy was good. I think you, I don't know how he said it, but I think you said it. Well. <laughs> uh, at least I understand. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, awesome. Well, 
Sean, I don't have any other questions. We're we're right in that sweet spot of of thirty to to forty minutes, which is uh, we try to stay in the range of someone's commute um, to work uh, if they are still commuting to work uh, or just morning cup of coffee. Um, anything else in in closing uh, before we wrap it up? No, I think this is great. Um, we've covered quite a bit, right? So you know, I hope it's helpful to anyone listening. And then if you want to contact me, I am on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive to LinkedIn connections. So Shauna Monterey. Um, you'll find me online. And like I said, I'm pretty responsive to, to um, requests. So just keep that up. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have Beanstalk Ventures website in the show notes. And we'll also have Shauna's LinkedIn. So if you're listening, you can just go there and click directly to there. Um, Shauna, hang on for one minute. We'll chat offline. Sure. But thanks so much for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.